Please pray with me. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. A question for you as I begin this morning. Have you, have you ever been someone else's favorite? Maybe you are or maybe you were a favorite son or daughter. Maybe you are a favorite aunt or uncle. Maybe you're a favorite sister or a favorite brother. Maybe someone in this room is your favorite priest. <laughs> Just a thought. Louise isn't here, so I can say that. Just a thought. Have you ever been someone else's favorite? I have two kids now, and my wife tells me that I am not allowed to have a favorite. But if we're being honest with ourselves, I think at some time uh, in our lives, most of us have uh, a favorite of some kind or another. I've told you once before about my grandmother, that is my mother's mother, uh, who I was very close to when she was alive. She was widowed when she was a very young woman, but not before she had 12 children, 11 of whom are still living today. Those 12 children went on to have 24 children of their own, and those 24 grandchildren went on to have now close to 30 uh, children of their own. It's a lot of people, and yet I'm confident that if my grandmother were alive today, she would tell you that I am her favorite. <laughs> I'm positive. She told others that, I'm sure, but I'm really her favorite. I know that. If you read Matthew's gospel account closely, if you read through that wonderful gospel account, it's pretty clear that Jesus has a favorite disciple. Who is it? Now, Peter. Peter is his favorite. Peter is Jesus' favorite disciple. All throughout Matthew's gospel, a lot of time is spent telling us about Peter. Peter is one of Jesus' first disciples. When Jesus goes up the Mount of Transfiguration, a story that some churches read last Sunday, Peter is one of only three disciples that go up there with Jesus. And it's, it's Peter who begins to speak first rather foolishly as that miraculous event takes place. Peter's often the person in this gospel account who's asking Jesus to slow down, to explain the parables to all of the other disciples. It's, it's Peter who declares Jesus the Messiah, the Son of the living God, a story that we will hear in just a couple of Sundays. And, and it's in that very same story that Jesus gives Peter a new name. He is, he is Cephas. He is the rock. And it's him whom Jesus calls the foundation of the church. And I can go on in case you need more convincing that Peter, Peter is Jesus' favorite. As, as Jesus goes into the garden to pray, it's Peter who he asks to stay awake and to pray for him. And then it's Peter who falls asleep first. It's Peter who swears that he will never deny Jesus. And then it's Peter who does just that when he is questioned. Peter is such an appealing, real character, and I think that's, that's why many of us are drawn to him. He is faithful, but he is also full of doubts. He's, he's very pushy, but he also has a deep passion for Jesus. He's, he's often the first to speak, the first to act, and then he is the first to leave the scene when things start to get bad. Peter isn't perfect, but he is striving for perfection. Peter is us. We are Peter. And I think that must be why the, the gospel writer inserts him into our story for today. 
This story of Jesus walking on the water appears in three of the four gospel accounts with, with very few changes. Matthew, Mark, and John all tell this story, but it's, it's only Matthew who has Peter climb out of the boat to join Jesus on the water. Mark and John, they leave that part of the story out. So our story picks up this week just where we left off last week. Jesus and the disciples have just finished feeding the multitudes, and we're told that Jesus wants some rest. He wants some time by himself to pray, and so he puts his disciples into a boat, and he sends them on to the next town ahead of him. Many of these men, if you remember, are experienced fishermen. They knew a whole lot about water, they knew a whole lot about boats, and they knew when they were in trouble. And tonight on this journey, they are in trouble. As they are out on the water, far from the land, the Scripture says, the wind and the waves pick up, and they start to take a beating in that boat. They are struggling all night and early into the morning, and Jesus, their friend, Jesus, the miracle worker, isn't anywhere close when he is most needed. It's In the midst of all of this, it's while they're struggling, while they're working to fight the wind and the waves and that storm, it's while all of this is taking place that Jesus suddenly appears, as if out of nowhere. Matthew tells us that off in the distance, the disciples see what looks like Jesus walking on the water, walking towards them, and they are terrified. They start to shout out that it's a ghost. And Jesus comes to the side of the boat and says, it is me. And for Mark and John, that's, that's how the story ends. Jesus gets into the boat with them. The wind and the waves are calm, and they continue their journey to the next town. But in Matthew's version, the version that we hear today, the story goes on a little bit. And Peter, as he is slinging his legs over the side of the boat, yells out, Lord, if, if it's really you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus responds simply, Come. It's, it's hard not to like Peter. Sure, he's, he's a bit too enthusiastic at times, but he's, he's sincere, I think. He's sincere in his desire to want to be close to the one who is speaking and doing miraculous things. Over and over and over again, he is the disciple who is willing to, to take a risk, to step out in faith. And over and over and over again, he is the one who stumbles first. The question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, do we have the courage, the faith, the the determination to climb out of the boat and walk on the water with Jesus? Peter did, do we? It's, It's okay if you're scared. It's okay if you have doubts. Peter was scared, and he had those doubts too. Are you willing to climb out of the boat? It just takes a little faith, and that's all that Peter had, we're told. He just had a little bit of faith, and yet he was willing to step out of the boat. I heard a story once about a a guy in California named Larry Walters. Has anyone ever heard of Larry Walters? Larry had the wonderful nickname Lawn Chair Larry. Has anyone ever heard of Lawn Chair Larry? No one? Good, great. This is a perfect story then. He had this nickname Lawn Chair Larry, and that's because of what he decided to do one day with his favorite lawn chair. One day, Larry had the brilliant idea to tie 45 large weather balloons filled with helium to his favorite lawn chair, and he said that he did this because he wanted to take a ride up into the sky. After he had tied a few balloons to his chair, it started to lift off the ground just a little bit, and so instead of uh, stopping there, he called some of his friends and some of his neighbors over so that they could hold down the chair while he tied more and more balloons to it. Finally, after all of the balloons were attached, he strapped himself with a bungee cord into the chair, and he took along with him a BB gun, 
a CB radio, his camera, two sandwiches, and a beer. Larry said that he expected to float up into the air about 10 or 15, maybe 20 feet, look around for a while, take a few pictures, and then gently float back down to the ground as he started to shoot out the balloons with his BB gun. The only problem was that when his friends let go of the chair, he didn't just gently take off from the ground. He started to soar high into the air above the buildings and above the trees, and then very quickly he was almost out of sight. Lawn chair, and this is a true story, by the way. I'm not making this up. Lawn chair Larry climbed to about 15,000 feet before he finally started to pop the balloons with the BB gun, and then he slowly descended back down to the ground. And, and when he made it back down, he was immediately arrested by the local police department. <laughs> when the reporters who had gathered at the landing site asked lawn chair Larry why he would do such a ridiculous thing, he gave them an answer that has stuck with me for a long time ever since I first heard this story. He said simply, I had to do something. I had to do something, something stupid we might add, but I like the thought behind his stupid act. I had to do something. In the story from Matthew's gospel account, the disciples had to do something. They had to do something or they might have died that night. And so it's Peter who finally does something. It's Peter who steps out of the boat. It's Peter who steps out in faith. And we've got to be willing to do the same thing. We've got to do something. So that's how I was going to end my sermon with that wonderful story about Lawn Chair Larry. And I was going to use it as a fun way to drive home my point about stepping out in faith. That was the original ending of this sermon. When I first looked up these readings a couple of weeks ago as I was at home with my wife and my children, I thought to myself, oh, this will be an easy Sunday to come back on. I can preach on that text. I love that story. It's one of my favorites. Uh, it won't take me too long to write a sermon about that. And so when I got back into my office this past Monday, I very quickly sat down and wrote out this sermon that you just heard. And then yesterday, as I was sitting at home, I, printed out this, I, I read the sermon that I had printed out, and I was reading it and editing it and rereading it. And then I turned on the news and saw that was happening uh, just down the road from us in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I said to myself some things that I can't say right now from this pulpit, and I realized that I needed to say a little bit more in this sermon. So it's a little heavier all of a sudden, and I've got to be honest and say that I really wish that I didn't have to talk about these things, because the news that I saw that you all saw yesterday in Charlottesville made me very sick and very sad, but it also filled me with a, a deep sense of despair and hopelessness as I saw images of white people, white people who actually look a whole lot like just about every one of us in this church today, as I saw those white people gathering on the UVA campus with torches and Confederate flags and throwing their arms up in Nazi salutes, as I, as I saw their, those images and as I listened to those hate-filled chants and as I watched the video of someone driving a, a car into a crowd to one run down counter-protesters, I, I realized more and more just how complicit I am in this, this cancer that has infected our country since its very beginning. And here's, here's what I mean by that. I think that if, if we're not willing to name this evil and then resist it and confront it and do our very best to defeat it, then I think we are complicit in it. 
If our only response when we turn on the television and see images like those coming out of Charlottesville is, how can this be happening, or isn't this 2017, or but we had a black president, then we are choosing to be blind. We are choosing to ignore our own racism. We are choosing to go along with the things how they are because we think that they don't affect us. We have to call this evil of white supremacy what it is. We have to do that, but we also have to call out the other ways that this evil has infected our country. I was reading a letter that my colleague and friend from uh, California, he's the rector of All Saints Pasadena, wrote to his congregation yesterday, and he, he very pointedly said this to them. He said that white supremacy is not only the man carrying the torch or weaponizing the car. It's more than that, he wrote. He says white supremacy is liquor counters instead of produce sections in neighborhoods of color. White supremacy is needing school supply drives for black and brown children to have even the most basic materials they need for class. White supremacy is America selling fear to white people and power to people of color in the form of a gun. White supremacy is all of these things and more. And he says we must name them, confront them, resist them, and defeat them. The question that we have to ask ourselves today and, and every day is this. Do we, do we stay in our dry, safe boats? Do we stay in that safe place, that safety that we experience in our day-to-day -day lives? Or do we risk stepping out and trudging into the unknown? Do we take the risk of getting wet and maybe even sinking down into the waters? If, if we want to call ourselves followers of Jesus, then I think we have to do just that. We do that because our Lord is the one who calls us to, to stand with the oppressed, to link arms with the persecuted, to, to work to pull down those forces which seek to terrorize and demoralize others. We, we step out of the boat because our Lord doesn't call us to compromise or to rationalize, and our Lord certainly doesn't call us to stand idly by. We step out of the boat because our Lord calls us to act, because our Lord says to us, come. The call of Jesus is this, to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to offer recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is the work of Jesus, and that is our work. The call of Jesus, the call that Jesus extends to Peter in our passage from this morning is, is that he is to come, come and walk with me, come and heal with me, come and offer this good news with me. I wish that I had the answers. I don't have all of the answers, though, about how we are to defeat this nationalism, this racism, this domestic terrorism. But, but I do know this. Unless and until we, especially we white people, stand up and say enough is enough, then it won't end. This is our cancer. This is our blight. These evil acts are being done in our name by people who look just like us. And the only way forward is for us to recognize our, our blindness, our racism, and work. Work really hard. Work every day of our lives to stamp out this hatred. We can't stay in our boats any longer. We can't hide behind our privilege anymore. We have to step out. We have to repent. We have to act. For if we do nothing, if we sit idly by, if we choose to say, stay safe and dry in our boats, then we are not walking in the way of Jesus our Lord. But the good news for us today, the good news for us is that when we, like Peter, step out in faith, 
when we step out in faith like Dr. King and Medgar Evers and Rosa Parks and Jonathan Myrick Daniels and Ruby Sales and John Lewis, when we, when we step out in faith, we do it trusting that love conquers hate, that justice will one day roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We, we do all of these things trusting that Jesus our Lord is right there with us on the water, in the water, and that even if we fall, even when we fall, He will be there to pick us right back up and then to send us right back out again until this work is done. That is the good news for us. That is the work that we have been called to do. And we each have to ask ourselves, are we, are we ready to step out of the boat with Jesus? Amen.